Hi, everybody. Welcome to Money School Week 4. Just setting up my screen here. Got my microphone set. Got my speakers set. Get my participants on screen with me here. And my chat window. And my Q&A. All set up here. Oh, and then give me one second. I've got to pull up the survey responses for those of you who said you would come on screen with me live. There were some good questions in there. So I've got to get a Chrome window open to do that. Hope everybody had a great week. I forgot to do this because it's the first time I've had people sign up for coaching in advance. Okay. Okay, great. You're here. Oh, hi, Jenny. My friend Jenny's here today. Should I hire Jenny to build your website? Okay, let's get some slides on the screen. And let's talk. So this week's topic is short and long-term savings. Now, under the heading of short and long-term savings, we could absolutely put the word retirement. We could put a word like emergency funds. And I do use those words, but I don't use them as often maybe as other people because you've all heard me talk before about words like afford, can't afford, need, want. These are words that it's not that they have necessarily no use, but they're defined so differently by so many people that some of their usefulness is lost without further clarification. So in a conversation about short and long-term savings, I'm going to avoid those words or not use them as much because I want to be as clear as possible about what we're actually talking about. Okay. So the way we're thinking about this is we're thinking about, we've got the money flowing into our lives and then when we think about savings, we're usually thinking about the money filling up different buckets. And we might have a bucket called emergency fund, which I would tend to call short-term savings. We might have a bucket called retirement, which I would call long-term savings. And the idea we have and some of the conflict we feel is that when, when we have money flowing into our lives, we're trying to decide, well, how much of it needs to go into this bucket? How much of it needs to go into that bucket? What is the actual correct bucket? Because there's a bucket called mutual funds and there's a bucket called 401k and there's a bucket called rental properties. And then there's debt and how should I pay off my debt versus retirement versus, and we just get ourselves spun up into a lot of anxiety, confusion about all this. And so as I usually do, I'm trying to make this simpler, not because I think we can resolve all your questions and challenges in one 60 minute webinar, but hopefully we can zero out some of that anxiety, give you a little simpler framework to think about so that you can go do your own homework and use your own wisdom and self-awareness to decide what you wanna call your buckets and how you wanna pour your income into those over time. So let's start here. You know, I love a good, a good graph. What I think we're trying to accomplish, all of us, over time is to increase our income, increase our expenses, 
but maintain a positive gap between income and expenses. Now on the screen here, you've got you know, two lines, two arrows where the income has a certain slope to it and the expenses have a certain slope. And if you wanna get nerdy and about the graph, you could say, well, if I'm gonna hold my expenses more constant over time, my expense line will be more flat. If I really wanna ramp up my spending and my, my consumption, then my expense line will be steeper. Same thing could happen with my income. Maybe my income is flatter, maybe it's steeper, maybe it's exponential. We can do all of this. None of that matters as much as recognizing that what we're really shooting for is a gap between the income line and the expense line. And that gap is what we call surplus. So when I hear phrases like live within your means or pay yourself first, I think those have some value, but I like to focus on the idea of surplus because surplus is financial. More money is coming in than, going, than is going out. But to me, the real surplus we're seeking here is a mental and emotional surplus. And what that sounds like for me is, I would like it to always be true in my life that I am spending less than I could spend because I want to. That, that's kind of the key piece. There are lots of people who are sustaining a financial surplus in their lives, meaning they're spending less than they earn forever. You know, they, they always have, and maybe they always will, but they still manage to feel terrible. And there's a lot of reasons they might feel terrible. One of the reasons might be, yes, we're very good savers. We always, we max out our 401k. We have this emergency fund thing, but they always feel deprived they feel like that surplus, excuse me, that, that financial surplus is coming at the expense of feeling deprived and wanting things that they quote unquote can't have. And to me, it's, you know, other things being equal, I like to have piles of cash. I like to have a growing financial surplus, but if it's coming at the expense of always feeling terrible, then I probably don't wanna get rid of the financial surplus, but I would like to add in the mental and emotional surplus. And what that looks like is making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm saving money because I like it, because I want to, and I'm not feeling deprived. So we do wanna have this gap between income and expenses, or I think most of us wanna have this gap between income and expenses, but we wanna feel good while we're doing it, okay? so. Let me actually pause there and see if I think this is a good opportunity to jump into the folks who, who said they wanted to be coached. And I hope you're here. If you, put, if you signed up to be coached live, will you raise your hand now? Because it's going to put you front and center. And then I'll be able to look at my survey results and decide which one of you I'm going to talk to first. Okay. I actually do want to talk quickly to, I hope you're here. Let me see if I can see you. Robin. Yes, you're here, Robin. Okay, Robin, I'm going to bring you on the screen. Let me stop sharing mine and then promote you to a panelist. And then I think I will need to, I'll need to allow you to turn on your video. That should work now. So you should be able to turn on your video, Robin. I can't hear you, oh, but maybe perfect. other people can. Yeah, I think I'm unmuted now. Can oh, you hear there you me are. Now? Perfect. Oh, Hi, perfect. nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. I'm excited, sort of. Sort of. That's a good, <laughs> honest answer. Yes. Um, okay, so 
I'll share with you, I'll share what you put into your coaching request. You said, how do I save when I don't have a regular income? I just got out of debt, but I keep going back into debt, paying it off. So you're kind of riding a debt roller coaster. I'm not able to save. Feels like savings out of control. Um, and I only have like little bits of leftovers. So tell me about this. Yeah. So when you talk about the surplus, basically there isn't a surplus. And so it just kind of goes like in some months, there'll be a little bit of a surplus. And I do kind of save that. Like, I don't necessarily just like go shopping or something, Mm -hmm. but then an expense will come up or I'll like invest in my business. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of keeps going up and down. And I just, I don't like, like when you talked about the emotional surplus, I don't like that there's not money sitting there Mm -hmm. because my income is variable. I don't have any savings and I don't like that because it just feels like uncomfortable. And then I have trouble, like, I think that I, I need to increase my income to, to increase that surplus. Like, I don't know that I can really want to cut my expenses anymore, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't seem to do that. And I think part of it is I don't really know where to put the money. And it doesn't seem like if I have to make the money to cover expenses, I can sort of do that. But if it's just for saving, it doesn't seem as important or something. Have you studied your expenses? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Um, so I know the totals, like I know what's in my accounts, but no, like I couldn't tell you how much I spend on groceries in a month. Like I kind of maybe would guess, but I don't really know. That's okay. Uh, part of this process is studying your expenses so that when you start to think about a financial surplus and then also an emotional surplus, you know exactly where your money's going and you know why it's going there. Because then when you're making decisions about whether you want more of it or less of it or the same amount of it, you're doing that with some clarity. Right now, what's happening is um, you've, we all have sort of a defined zero. Uh, We have a a zero level in our life. And for some people, their zero level is $100,000 in the bank. And for some people, their zero level is $1,000 in the bank. And for some people, their zero level is my credit card balances fluctuate throughout the year. Yeah. And so their credit card balance gets to a certain amount a a switch gets flipped in their head. The anxiety surges, they take action and they get that, that credit card balance back to zero. They feel the reduction in anxiety, credit card balance creeps up and repeat. That's exactly, it's $10,000 on my line of credit. Like I know the number Yes. Okay, and now good. that it's paid off, it's sort of like, well, I, and I haven't been really working. Like I have a little bit, but not like, like I don't have another, like I usually have like three jobs and I have like one right now, like totally it's that, but how do I change that then? Well, one, one part would be redefining zero. Okay. Because right now zero is defined as my my tent my credit line is maxed out. Yeah. You could redefine zero and say I'm going to work on having the same sense of urgency around a ten thousand dollar balance in my checking account that I yeah. do around having a ten thousand dollar line of uh, maxed out line of credit. Okay. And that that truly is a mental exercise. It's not so many of these things we want them to be financial and tactical but redefining zero is a pure mental exercise. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like when you talked in your email about like the savings rate, I'm like, I can't really do like just work because my income's all over the place. It's hard for me to be like, okay, every month I'm going to do a hundred dollars. Like it just, 
it won't really work, but that makes more sense. Just setting that goal and like working toward. Do you know why it won't really work? Well, cause I won't do it. What won't you do? I won't like when I get paid, I won't take that money and put it in savings. Cause I'll just spend it on, I'll just spend the same amount. Yes. And end up like, um, that'll just, if I put it in savings, I'll just end up owing it on my credit card. Like it won't really change. So if for you, it's a little bit, you, you feel like it's a shell game. Like, yes, I can pretend that I'm quote saving this money, but I know that this money is going to my, my credit line. Like, yeah. Yeah. So what you actually have, this is, this is my opinion, Robin, you don't have, there may be an element of your challenges that are spending challenges, but you, it's more that you have a, an income challenge. Yeah. And that income challenge, I will pretty much guarantee is a marketing challenge. Yeah. It's a marketing challenge. Yeah. I know this. Yeah. Okay. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Tell me the story. Well, well, I know that I know that's the problem and I know it's the marketing, but uh -huh. like, I just don't make more, like, it's just so frustrating. Cause I just don't have that. Like you said that urgency, mm -hmm. like if I really needed money tomorrow, I would go get another job. Like I would go get a, an employee, like an yes. employee job. Right. Yes. And so I just don't feel, and like, I guess part of me is wonders is like, is it okay if I just don't save any money and hope that I make a bunch of money later, but I just don't see that. Like. I don't really see that happening right now. Um, everything is okay and nothing is okay. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pure financial relativist. Mm -hmm. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is I have so, there's so little dogma in me about what a person quote unquote should do. For me, I play games that are more like, uh, they're kind of likelihood games, which it sounds like this. Um, Robin, do you think that your stress level would probably be higher or lower if you currently had $100,000 in the bank? Oh, it'd be lower. Okay. For sure. So if you believe that's probably true, then you can decide whether or not you want to take the time and energy and mental risk of pursuing that $100,000 balance with the hope that on average, your stress level will be lower in the presence of that account relative to your current account balances. That's the game. So when you said something okay. earlier, uh, you just said, if I really needed money, I could go out, go, go out and get a job tomorrow. Yeah. We don't have great evidence that you don't really need money. <laughs> Even yeah, though okay. I don't, you, you know, I don't tend to use the word need, but yeah, we have evidence that you kind of, there's some trigger that gets you to say, now I need it. Yeah. I'm saying you could flip that. You could, you could change that trigger. Sometimes with coaching clients, I'll say, what we've got to do is we've got to pull the stress into the present instead of leaving it out there in the future. Yeah. We pull the stress into now and say, oh, I'm going to act urgently today so that when there's an, uh, 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 an urgency that feels more real, I've already prepared for it. Oh yeah. I see what you mean. And I think I try to like feel better about my situation instead of just like feeling that stress. So then I'm just like, well, I'm fine. My bills are like, I try to like make myself feel better about the financial situation that I don't really like, like not have any savings. I don't really like that, but yeah, this, okay. so you've said a couple, one, one, I really do believe you have a marketing problem. Are you a coach by chance? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So your, your personal finance challenges can be traced back to the fact that you have not found your groove marketing your coaching services. Yeah. So that's, that probably deserves some energy and attention. Okay. The other thing you said was I make, I'll sometimes invest in my business. Yeah. Now for coaches, that almost always means buying coaching. 
That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the thing about buying coaching, I love coaching. I buy coaching. I sell coaching. I'm all for coaching. There's a great, I, there's a video on YouTube that I watched years ago. And I just repeat this over and over. It's a fitness dude. And the fitness dude is standing there with a pizza and there's another fitness dude on a treadmill and the treadmill guy starts the treadmill at a dead sprint. And they start to like tick off how many calories he's burning. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy starts eating the pizza and they start to tick off how many calories he's consuming. And there's no speed at which this, the running guy can keep up with the pizza guy. Coaches buying coaching has some parallels here. Yeah. Where a coach will work her tail off to sell some clients, bring in some hundreds or some thousands of dollars. And then her favorite coach will offer her a mastermind this or a one-on-one experience that or a retreat. And that thing is thousands of dollars. And that one yes can wipe out months and months worth of effort with one yes. So it's like, it's like the pizza slice versus the treadmill. Yeah. I'm not telling you not to buy coaching because that's Mm -hmm. your business. I'm saying before you buy coaching, you get to pause and you get to ask yourself, I know I will enjoy this coaching experience. Will I enjoy it more than I would enjoy being off this uh, credit card roller coaster? Oh, right. Okay. That's the, that's the trade-off you're actually making. I'm choosing to stay on the credit card roller coaster for the sake of these coaching experiences. Yeah. You get to pause and ask yourself whether you want to keep making that trade-off while you're working on your marketing. Because marketing, by the way, could solve both problems. Marketing can pay for coaching and marketing can pay for being off the credit card roller coaster. Yeah. And I think I've used it as like, if I invest in the coaching, it'll solve my marketing problem, but it has. (laughs) The people who are listening to the audio right now should know that I'm just calmly shaking my head back and forth. It's not. I think I need to hear that because that's exactly what's happening is like, I would make money in my business, but I'd spend it all basically like all of it almost. So it kind of, that's what kept me like the up and down. Yeah. So I, I think that there is, I, I, again, I buy coaching. I sell coaching. I love coaching. Lots and lots of coaching is bought out of FOMO, not out of clarity. Yeah. I think that's what was happening. So if you, if you've really understood your marketing challenges, meaning I just don't have enough people visiting my website, or once they visit my website, I don't have a a clear path for them to engage with me. You get very specific on what problem you're solving. You use money to solve it. And then the downstream effects are more clients, more money, cash surplus in your personal finances and off the credit card float. Yeah. Okay. And then I guess you had said something too about, I guess I have to think about because part of me like avoids the marketing and avoids like that feels like stressful, right? Being in there and like doing, focusing on the marketing and making more money that I guess I have to ask, like, would I rather have that stress or this stress of like, exactly. Beautifully said so much of personal finance, in my opinion, so much of life is choosing our stress. That sounds awful. (laughs) It's, It's picking the pain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we could view that negatively and maybe we should find a better way to say it, but really it's like, it's picking the area. You could also say it's picking the area of growth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Buying that next, next coaching experience might feel like the easiest thing. And it might be the most fun thing. Some of you are, are come from a world where flour and sugar get kind of demonized like, Oh, flour and sugar. is just about that dopamine hit. Well, yeah, a lot of people are doing the coaching is flour and sugar. Yeah, the way some people purchase it. 
Yeah. And that's what I think I've been hit. Not much nutritional value there. Yeah. So somebody put in the chat, by the way, what's FOMO? FOMO is fear of missing out. And it's FOMO is a big reason why lots of us do lots of things. Uh, This person, me included, we, we act out of fear of missing something rather than real clarity about what we want. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of what uh, Robin's dealing with here. So Robin, that's where I'd send you. I'd send you to think about your marketing. Okay. And I would also just have you pause and take a breath before you make big purchases. Your Netflix subscription is not the reason you're off the, on and off this, this line of credit. Right. Yeah. It's totally the coaching. Your daily latte. And I'm saying this kind of for everybody's benefit. Your daily latte, your daily hot cocoa from Starbucks is not the reason you're floating in and out of credit card debt. It's probably the bigger bites. Okay. It's the cars, it's the clothes, it's the vacations, it's the coaching experiences. These are more likely to be the culprits than $3 here and $4 there. Yeah. That makes total sense. Cool. Robin, thanks for coming on screen with me. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right, folks, going to share my screen one more time. Let's talk about why we save, and then we'll bring another person or two on screen with us. This may be a different perspective on why we save than you've heard before. I think we really save for two reasons. The first reason we save is to keep consumption smooth. Sort of, we, we understand our baseline spending expectations, our baseline consumption expectations. Whether we have really good clarity about them, they, those patterns do exist. I could go into your credit card statements and I could see, this is your definition of normal with no judgment. There's no criticism in this. It's just the reality of, eh, here's about how much money I spend in a normal, in the flow of my life. We're saving money because we want to protect that smooth consumption. And the second reason we want to save money is to make income less costly. Now, I'm not giving you those as my opinions. I think I can show you that that's actually the reason people save money when they're doing something called building an emergency fund or when they're doing something called maxing out my 401k. So let's talk first about how to keep income smooth. There's a financial way to keep income smooth. And then there are non-financial ways to keep income smooth. And I want you guys to be in the chat right now if this, if this idea of keeping income smooth is too abstract or if it's poorly explained. Because to me, it's a really crucial insight. It's a crucial thing for you to understand. When I say keep income smooth, the reason somebody says they want an emergency fund, if you ask them, why do you want the emergency fund? They may say things like, well, if I have job loss or if I have a major medical issue, I don't want to lose my house. Not losing my house means keeping my mortgage current. Keeping my mortgage current is part of a smooth consumption curve, a smooth consumption path. You know, if I lose my job, I don't want to have to, I don't want my cars to be repossessed. If I lose my job, I don't want my my kids to have to drop out of the activities they love so much. We're talking about keeping that that consumption smooth. And that's really what we want that emergency fund in place for. I'm just trying to get you to reframe a little bit, think a little bit differently about what actually constitutes that that emergency fund or what actually supports you in keeping your consumption smooth. Oh, I'm on the income smooth. Oh, please hold how to keep consumption. Got a typo on my slide that I'm fixing right now. How to keep consumption smooth. So the financial ways of keeping consumption smooth are number one, a savings account. This is the, you know, whatever the 
personal finance experts say two month savings account, six month savings account, thousand dollars. Dave Ramsey says, have a thousand dollars in your emergency fund and then move on to paying off debt. Cool. All good. It's up to us each individually to decide what needs to be in our financial emergency fund, our financial short-term savings. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's one part of our financial consumption smoothing tool set. The other one is insurance. For example, I've recently just started to think, you know, I have the financial short-term savings that would cover X months of my normal expected consumption. Another tool that's available to me financially is short-term disability insurance, long-term disability insurance. I'm completely ignorant of these things, but they've just recently popped into my head as options for keeping my family's consumption smooth, even if I'm injured, if I'm ill, whatever might happen to me. Those are the two tools. It's the non-financial consumption smoothing tools that I don't think we think about enough. The first and biggest consumption smoothing tool is decreased desire. So if I, over time, dial in what I actually care about and how I actually want to spend my money and what actually moves the needle in my life, as that number or as that, as that level of consumption becomes more and more clear, my expected uh, sort of perceived uh, needed emergency fund shrinks when I realize, oh, this is my normal consumption month to month. But if I were to have job loss, if I were to have income loss, I would pretty comfortably cut these things. I would let those go and it wouldn't really hurt my happiness that much. Once you have that realization, you might go from, you know, a supposed six month emergency fund to an 18 month emergency fund. When I went through this exercise myself and I thought, all right, if, if it really gets tough, if my businesses fail, if I, you know, if I can't go make money at all, how long would the cash on hand actually last me? To answer that question, I had to dig in and say, well, what would we actually want to keep spending? Once I went through that exercise, I realized, you know what? I think this cash could probably sustain us for 18 months. And I'd kind of had it in my head that it was more like a six month emergency fund. Like, no, I think this cash would probably last us 18 months. So that's a good thing to realize. And that's why one of your best non-financial consumption smoothing tools is decreased desire. Another one is income generating skills. If you, if you have the ability to create income and you lose one income source, you may draw on your, on your savings account, but you'll draw less on it if you can spin up a new income stream relatively quickly. Another consumption smoothing tool, smoothing tool is your family. And I know that money and family dynamics can be very tricky, but absolutely, if I was in a really bad spot with my finances and something like my home were in jeopardy, I would absolutely call my parents, my siblings, ask them for help. There was, uh, you know, 2009, I did not have a financial emergency fund. My savings account was non-existent and my wife and I wanted to adopt a baby. Felt strongly about it's time for us to have another kid. We're going to adopt our second kid. Our kids are adopted. And a story I'll share another time led me to a moment where I needed $40,000 and I needed it fast. I called my parents. I called my siblings. I called my business partner. And within 24 hours, I had $40,000. I 
that's a, that is an example of real privilege. First of all, that I want to acknowledge, I'm very grateful to be in that position. But when I wanted to have that specific consumption in my life, adopting a, another child into my family, I quickly reached out to family and friends without hesitation. Another non-financial tool is an email list, social media following, people that you can reach out to, to ask for help, to sell a product, to do a GoFundMe. Um, this is sort of a, a tragic but perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, an, old, an old friend of mine, an old coworker of mine, a couple of months ago, uh, passed away really suddenly. It was tragic. I and mean, he's doing, he was doing great work in the world and he just very suddenly passed away within seven to 10 days of his passing. The community of people that felt like he'd served them and their families really well had raised something like $300,000 to support his family. Great example of his effort in creating relationships and in serving a community was a non-financial consumption smoothing tool for his family, even in his absence. Uh, and of course we have, you know, if you belong to a church, uh, the church I belong to, if, if I get really tight financially, I can ask the church for support and they will give that support. And I love that. And of course, there's also the government, the government, its welfare programs can be a consumption smoothing tool. So when you're deciding how much money do I really need in my emergency fund? Yes. I like to think about how much money do I want in my savings account? But part of that conversation is what other resources are available to me? And that's all the things on the non-financial list. I don't think we can ignore those things if we want to have a very complete picture of our savings goals. Let's talk about how to make income less costly. Now, I think it might be weird if people say, well, I want to retire. And I say, well, actually, you don't want to retire. What you actually want to do is make your income a lot less expensive. They're like, no, you don't understand. I want to not have any income. And I say, no, you're, you have this vision of having a pension or having rental properties or having uh, mutual funds that you pull income from in order to keep your consumption smooth in your, in your old age or your young age. And I, and I say that the, the difference between your day job that you're and your salary that you have right now and the mutual fund is that the mutual fund costs you less on a day-to-day -day basis for the same amount of money, money, or that's what you're hoping. So I said, actually, all you're trying to do is you're trying to make your income less expensive. You're just calling it retirement. So instead of just thinking about all the financial ways that we make income less costly, meaning we have mutual fund balances, we have stocks, we have bonds, maybe we own real estate, maybe we own businesses, maybe we become a quote unquote venture capitalist by investing in other people's businesses. Those are the financial options for making our income less expensive. The non-financial options are doing things today. It's things like for the same number of hours or for the same amount of income, working fewer hours. For the same amount of income, getting a shorter commute, changing bosses. Quick story here, I have experienced in my own business, I have lots of bosses because I have lots of clients. There have been times in my business where I will become certain that I need to switch businesses. This business doesn't work anymore. I don't like it. I'm exhausted. I'm burned out. And then under scrutiny, under analysis, what I realize is that I have one client where the relationship is really difficult, really expensive. 
And if I get rid of that one very expensive relationship, suddenly my business doesn't seem so bad anymore. And I like it. And I, and I find myself saying, I could do this forever. It's a great gig. I think the same is true with many of your jobs. You might have a job you hate. He might be a sexist. He might be a jerk. He might be unpredictable. What, or, or she might be un unpredictable. You know, your boss may be a problem. And you may be thinking, I need to hurry up and retire. I need to hurry up and get out of this working world when the reality is there's just, they're just this one person that you really can't stand. And if that person was amazing, suddenly this desire to escape the working world diminishes. This is what I'm talking about when, I'm, when I say, let's make your income less costly. Get a new boss, get a new job, maybe switch companies, maybe switch careers. Uh, somebody just emailed me. And if you're here, I, I think I will get back to you eventually. And they said, I want to retire by this age. I'm maxing out everything I can possibly max out. And do you have any advice on how I can max it out even faster, grow even faster? And when I do get back to you, well, I guess I am getting back to you. What you're going to hear me say is, look, this is all great. Your financial piece of the plan sounds amazing. We should talk about your non-financial piece. Why are you in such a hurry to get out of the working world? Are you so sure that there's not a way to engage with the working world, to engage with the economy in a way that feels as good as you think retirement will feel? If you're willing to spend the next eight to 10 years of very focused effort, freeing yourself from work, could it not make sense to spend the next few years of effort putting yourself in a position where work doesn't feel bad and you just keep earning money, but feeling great? One of the weirdest things you might hear me say in all of money school is that changing jobs or careers is a reasonable substitute for saving money in a mutual fund. That one would absolutely get me burned at the stake by the personal finance world. But when they talk about save X percent of your income in a mutual fund, I think, well, your goal there is to feel good enjoy your day, feel like you have autonomy, flexibility, creative contribution. You could do that and get money too. It's an option. So one of your homework assignments today that we'll talk about momentarily is to make an assessment of your financial long-term savings plan, which, whose goal is to make your income less costly in time, energy, emotion but also to become very aware of your non-financial tools, your non-financial options for making your income less expensive. You all went real quiet in the chat. I need somebody to tell me if I've completely gone off the rails or if this is resonating on some level. And while you tell me that, I'm gonna go back to my survey responses. And there was somebody that I wanted to talk to. Lindsay, are you here? Lindsay's hand is not up. There you are. Lindsay, you're coming on screen. And we'll talk about this. Let me stop sharing my screen. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. I'm hiding in the bathroom. As parents do. 
Um, okay, everybody, here's what Lindsay said. Lindsay, you can interrupt me if you want to give me give your own version of this. We were great savers for years, paid off our house to 35. We've been living debt for uh, living debt free for five years while my husband has gone back to school. Been living off savings while trying to start businesses, have very little income. The concern, I'm now I'm paraphrasing, the concern is that we'll use up our whole nest egg while we work on these increased earning opportunities. And I feel shame about using up all of our savings. So that's where we're going to start. What else can you tell me about it, Lindsay? Um, everything you just said, like made me start jumping up and down okay. <laughs> because I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I've been feeling for so many years. Like when we started out, my husband worked downtown, long hours, long commute, you know, overtime. And I'm like, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? And, and it was like, okay, well, as soon as we pay off the debt, mm -hmm. then you know, things will be good. Things will be easy, but we paid off the debt and then he lost his job. And so, so he went back to school and anyway, we, you know, we were in a situation where we did have savings. We were really good savers. And then, and I've, I've switched my thinking to let's work our butts off so we can retire to yeah. let's make our life so enjoyable that we yes. don't even need to retire. Thank you. And yes. so you just said that and I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy. Well, let's be clear. You're just the same kind of crazy as me. I, we don't, okay. we both could be absolutely nuts. We just happen to agree with each other. Okay. I, I'm crazy in so many ways. So I totally take that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, I think that's what we're talking about. I think what we're talking about is instead of viewing retirement as, a, as an escape, yes. let's create a life from which we don't want to escape. Yes. Oh my goodness. Like, I like feel amazing that you're saying that because not like my husband's resisting this idea and thankfully he loves me enough to like go along with me on this for a bit. Mm -hmm. And he's willing to like switch jobs and do something totally different and allow me to jump in there and like see what I can do. And we're both homeschooling the kids. We're like, we've created this totally non-traditional life yeah. that I love yeah. and I want to keep living it. Yeah. And so I need to figure out how to fund it. And I know I can, Right. but People keep telling me I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, good news, and, they're wrong. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> so here's what I want, uh, something that came from your question specifically that I wanted to ask you yeah. about was when you said, we're trying to get businesses started, but we're drawing down our savings. There are times I've interacted with people who savings can be kind of a blessing and a curse because sometimes savings buys us time and that's a great thing but sometimes yeah. savings buys us time and that's not a great thing because okay. we can wake up on any given Tuesday and say, I don't have to work with that much urgency today because I have savings. Right. And I'm not saying that's you. I'm, I'm asking is tell me about the creation of these businesses and what's going on with them. Yeah, they're, I mean, so we're probably more on the end of feeling so urgent Okay. that it's probably not helpful. Okay. 
So um, now admittedly, we've been in kind of this lock for, I don't know, maybe a year or two of me trying to convince my husband that yes, this life that we want to live, or at least that I want to live and he thinks he will enjoy the ride with me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it is possible. And so we've kind of been going between this like idea of me saying, this is possible. We can do this. This is really what I want. Him questioning, do you really want this? And then, so what did I do? I opened up my house as an Airbnb and I started making money. Hmm. And then I started a YouTube channel. And now I'm becoming a coach and I just signed my first client with actual money like 20 minutes ago. And I'm just like, very timely. I'm just like on fire and definitely, but I, so what I'm trying to do is keep myself from feeling so urgent that I'm like needy and graspy about letting this money whittle down. And because my husband's like, Hey, like, we've become super frugal. Mm -hmm. We like, we can make the money last for like three to four years if we need to. Yeah. But again, I don't want to, I don't want that money to disappear because my husband's an investor and he could invest it. (laughs) So yeah. So that's where I'm at. Well, you've identified your main obstacle, your main obstacle at this point, especially as a coach. Although I actually think this is true of I, I want to call this a universal truth of human nature. I always tell, I interact with a lot of coaches. So I end up saying this to coaches, but I say yeah. humans are simple animals. When they are chased, they will run away. Yes. But if, but if in human interactions, if, if I'm in somebody's space and I take sort of one intriguing step away from them, their curiosity gets peaked and they take one step toward me. Mm-hmm. So the master skill in selling other humans is to be interesting and just this much aloof. Okay. And I, that is, yeah. Don't put pressure on yourself to be like, now I have to figure out what aloof means exactly. But mostly, you know, when you are being graspy. Yes. And when you're feeling like the, as you're talking to a prospective client, the anxiety is building in you and you start to get yeah. worried that they're not going to say yes. Yeah. And then suddenly you hear yourself saying things that you wouldn't want you to wouldn't. say. Yeah. That is the obstacle to you having a full-time income in your business. It's your ability yeah. to stay calm and poised. Yes. And like, it's, it's, it's numbers, right? And numbers. people are going to say, no, I can make a ton of offers. And the no's are just for me to learn. I mean, I've been listening to Brooke. <laughs> so. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> it is a number. But um, it is. And so I'm trying to like not be emotional about the numbers and just focus on my why and, the- and not allow the shame of using my savings to like, cause that's the thing is I've been feeling shame. And then I've, I crawl, I crawl, I hide, I crawl in my hole and I'm like, this isn't working. Why, why, why should I want this? Like, why am I wanting this wonderful life for myself? I should just go back to. The shame is interesting for me. I don't think it's weird and I don't think it's unusual, but if we go back to my reasons for saving, one of the reasons, the first reason for saving is to smooth consumption, to keep consumption yes. smooth. Yes. That's all you're doing. I know. And that's why it was like 
like fireworks going off in my brain. Right. Like it's a whole new way of looking at it so that now I can like let go of that and be like, I'm just, this is what it's for. This is what I saved this money for. This money is doing the exact job that I gave it. I gave this money, this job, and now it is doing that job. What on earth would I feel shame for? Yes. Thank you. Like changes my world. (laughs) We can only feel shame about increase or, um, feeling shame about a decreasing balance is as to me as silly as feeling pride about an increasing balance. Yeah. They're just two sides of the same coin. I am neither good nor bad based on my bank balance. Totally. I'm just assigning jobs to dollars and then having those jobs, those dollars do those jobs. Yeah. And so if I decide that that the point of those savings is to allow me to explore other lifestyles and other work opportunities and still be able to like feed my family and do all those things, then that's, that's what it was for. That's what it's for. Oh, that is so awesome. (laughs) Did you just say I'm so awesome? No, I didn't, but I do believe that. That you're awesome. That's what I'm saying. I want to just be like, yeah, I'm so awesome. And I'd have been like, (laughs) totally. Because it's true. Well, Come on, it's true. I am awesome. And I'm feeling a little more awesome at the moment. And I, because my, my, my point of view has changed or shifted to the fact that it's okay that I'm doing what I want and I don't have to feel shame about it. No. You and your husband are the same people with actually, no, you're not even the same people, but you're, you're the same people plus experience and new skills and new perspectives that paid off a bunch of debt in five years that generated the income to pay off that debt. Nothing has changed here other than it's probably improved. It's true. Like, I think we're like, he's doing his MBA. He's learning all sorts of things. He's making these connections and yeah, we gave up savings so he could do that. But like, look at all the things he's learned right. and going back out into the workforce at some point, if that's what we decide to do if or start a business, he he's ahead of the game. And so I can look at that savings as like, we invested this in ourselves. That's what I was thinking the other day. I was like, you know what? We invested this money in ourselves and our education instead of the stock market. That's right. And I feel like that investment is actually going to take us way further than a really great stock. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a lot of evidence to support that. The thing I would have you think about and remember as you go through this process, and especially as you're talking to prospective coaching clients is that you are a person who has shown tons of courage and discipline in your life. And you're still Mm -hmm. that person. Yes. You're just that person with a slightly different bank balance today. Yes. That doesn't matter. No. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Yes, it was really great. I've really been enjoying, this is the first time I've been able to be live and uh, definitely appreciate that. Well, it's great to meet you. I hope we, I hope we talk again in the future. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Mark. Okay, see ya. Bye. All right, I'm just looking back at my, I know I didn't get to everybody who submitted. I knew we wouldn't, there's just not enough time. Um, 
I think we'll stop there because I got to move on to homework. Got to move on to homework. I, I surprised myself with how much homework I came up with for this class. Homework one. Homework one is to allow yourself to mentally and emotionally experience a total loss of income. You, I think you've heard me before. I think it was on a previous class or maybe in one of my emails. I talked about a, a kind of an ancient Roman philosophy called Stoicism. The Stoics have an exercise where they, they, they experience the worst case scenario in their minds. They ask the question, what is the worst case uh, scenario? And then they try to live that experience in their heads right now. It is so powerful to do this. When you realize that your very worst case scenario is something that you'll, you'll experience as a set of thoughts and feelings and that those things can't actually hurt you. And once you've done that, you'll take into the rest of your homework, the rest of these exercises, you'll go in with much more clarity because you will have already experienced the worst case scenario. A story about this. The other day I was talking to a new uh, client in my, my business. She's, she's working with us as her uh, CFO. We're going to be her CFO. She told me, she said, Mark, the first time I heard you was on a class a while ago. I don't know what class she's talking about, but you coached me on the call and you said, well, she was very afraid of having no money. And I said, well, the thing to do is to go ahead and feel the feeling of having no money right now. Just feel it now and then see what happens. I have no memory of this. She said she got off the call. She felt the feeling. She said she sobbed for half an hour. She just sobbed like big, loud, ugly cry for 30 minutes. At the end, she said the emotion was gone, it was processed, it was done. And then I went to work on my business and she has created really an amazing business in a, in a relatively short period of time. She tells me that the key for her was experiencing the worst possible scenario in her mind, feeling it, realizing that it didn't hurt her and then going to work. That's homework one for you all, okay? Homework two, this is kind of going back to our second class, I think, study your expenses. And now that you have this perspective, study your expenses to get a clear understanding of what you buy and why you buy it. Because once you have clarity about what you buy and why you buy it, then you can add those numbers up to create what feels like your sort of non-negotiable monthly spend. Multiply that by some number of months, and now you have a reasonable target for your emergency funds. Now, you'll notice I'm not saying one month, two months, six months, 12 months. Those things are opinions that have some merit for some people and none for others. You get to choose what you decide is a reasonable target for an emergency fund. And please do it in the context of your non-financial emergency assets. So that's homework three especially as you're processing worst case scenarios, have an honest conversation with yourself, with your partner. Okay, if worst came to absolute worst, would we call mom and dad? Would we move in with mom and dad? Move in with brother or sister, best friend? Who, if worst came to worst, who would we ask for help? Run some thought experiments about how you would deploy, quote unquote, those emergency assets. That sounds something like, well, if we really lost the income and if the savings account balance got to X, I'd call mom and dad, see if they could do a loan or if they could help us out. I would run yourself through those things so that if you ever find yourself in that situation, you've already experienced it. 
and you kind of have a sense of what your, what your plan would be. I realize it's going to be very uncomfortable for people to, some people to have thoughts about, well, what I, you know, asking mom and dad for help or asking siblings for help or asking boss for a loan or whatever. That exercise might be made easier if you ask yourself whether you would be willing to be an emergency asset for someone else. And if you know, if you believe you would be willing to be an emergency asset for someone else, that might help you feel more at peace by making that request of the people in your life. Spend some time there. There's no wrong or right answers here. It's just, these are some important thought experiments because they will inform how much money feels right and reasonable for quote unquote emergency funds. Okay, last homework. List, this is, I'm set, this is like such a high school worksheet. I love it. List and discuss the costliest aspects of your current income. Long hours, long commute, sexist boss, expensive costume. And by costume, I mean, of course, whatever clothes you have to wear to work to meet the social and maybe the HR standard at your job. Maybe the work is unfulfilling. List the expensive parts of your income so that when you're trying to make decisions about retirement as a concept, you're doing it with clarity. You're saying, okay, wait, what am I retiring from? Am I retiring from all income creation, active income creation? Or am I just retiring from the fact that my boss is actually a jerk? Or that I just used to love this work, but I don't love it anymore. And I want to love how I spend my day. Loving how I spend my day might mean disengaging from the economy, but it doesn't have to. It will be easier to have that kind of uh, to go through that thought experiment if you start with a list of the costliest elements of your income. Four pieces of homework there. Oh, I went quickly, didn't I? Homework one, I'll put it back on the screen. Allow yourself to mentally and emotionally experience total loss. Somebody said, can you email these? Yeah, I'll, I'll email these. Homework two, study your expenses. Homework three, evaluate your non-financial emergency assets. Homework four, list the costliest aspects of your income. I'll email this, these to you folks. Uh, by the way, for the first time, kind of since I started Money School, when I created these four pieces of homework, uh, an idea started to really take shape in my head for what I think I would like to do after we finish Money School in a couple of weeks. I, I do want to have like a small group implementation experience over the next few months. So some of you may want to take part of that. I'll put the details out there and we'll chat about it. But I've realized that in homework like this, we could absolutely gather in groups of five to 10 with me as a facilitator and discuss things like this homework and figure out what we want our plan to be. In the meantime, give this stuff some, some thought, get some clarity around your surplus, put this on the screen, get some clarity around how much mental and emotional surplus you have in your life right now. And if it's not the amount of mental and emotional surplus you want, you can start thinking about how you can use income and expenses as tools to shift that mental and emotional surplus.
All right. We got a few minutes. I finished a little bit early. I'm pretty proud of myself right now. I'm not going to lie. Does anybody want to wait? There's one person. There's one person. Um, Melissa C. Are you here? There you are. Melissa, I'm bringing you on screen. We're going to, we're going to finish with you. There you are. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining me. What's going on? Oh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell everybody what's going on. You email, you, you, you submitted this to me. Husband thinks we should save for our future retirement. And I think we should also fund accounts for future expenses for our kids, cars, college weddings. I feel panicked because two of our three kids are already in their teens and we've saved zero. Okay. So that's where we start. What else do you want to add to that, Melissa? Um, I guess just that we, we have things kind of all spread out in different places. Like maybe we should do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little debt payoff. And so we're all over the place. And I just, I want a plan. I want a plan of where to put, cause we do have a little surplus. I have spent some time um, through money school. Thank you for looking at the big picture. And I know exactly what our surplus was last year and I anticipate it to be more this year. And so I just want a plan, but like you talked about in the very beginning, the buckets, it's like, I don't know what buckets. Um, I just throw out buckets. No, I, what you're saying, what you're saying is what I would also be saying. So it, it's the same way my brain would be working. I do have a teenage son and we are starting to have some of these conversations. What are the experiences that we feel like we could only really have when he's at home with us that we want to prioritize maybe even ahead of long-term um, financial surpluses? The, the, the way to go through that exercise and it's funny because coming from the coaching world, coaches do not tend to like this kind of exercise because they will call it scarcity and blah, whatever. Here's the deal. Life is about choosing one thing over another thing and recognizing the, the, the cost of those trade-offs. Now, in the long run, where the coaches and I will agree is that in the long run, I can change my income so much that the trade-offs I have to make get smaller and smaller. In other words, I can start using the word and a lot more often than I use the word or. In the short term, while we're working on that, we are having to say, well, our family loves to be on a boat. Our family doesn't. I'm just using a random example. Our family loves to be on a boat. We are going to reduce long-term quote-unquote retirement savings for the sake of the experiences we like to have on a boat for the next few years while we're all at home together. The way to get clarity and confidence is to acknowledge both desires and then acknowledge what each choice costs the other. Meaning, it's to me, it's a totally reasonable exercise to say, let's say it's a boat. Let's say the boat's, I have no idea what a boat costs. Let's say the boat's 50 grand. And let's say the payment would be, oh man, the personal finance people hated me before. They're going to hate me now. I'm, I'm literally about to talk about financing a boat, whatever. 
let's say the boat payment's 400 bucks a month. I'm, I'm saying, okay, if I choose to put $400 a month into a boat payment, instead of into maxing out my 401k, I can use a spreadsheet to calculate the long-term financial cost of that choice. And then I can use my head and my heart to calculate the benefit of the boat, the experiences that we'll have. And I'm not saying we always have to choose head and heart over spreadsheets, because sometimes we'll choose spreadsheets. But once those things are clear, then we're going to make a decision we're happier with. Instead of kind of avoiding acknowledging the trade-offs and just saying, I don't know, I don't want to think about it. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. Am I making sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I would, I would do that with each of these options because you mentioned a few things, cars for kids. Uh, what else did you mention? You mentioned weddings. This is an exercise that could take you, honestly, it could take you months, Melissa, but it would be time and energy so well spent for you to just take something like the, the wedding and say, okay, I have a very clear vision of my son's or my daughter's weddings. And I'm not going to judge that vision. I'm not going to, I'm going to leave all the shoulds out of it. And you're just going to allow yourself to have your own vision. You can lay it out. You can, you can spend the money on paper. Then I would encourage you to see how your vision for those weddings lines up with your husband's vision and lines up with your kids' visions. They should probably have a say, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know moms aren't always that interested in their kids' opinions about the weddings, but they probably should be. And then you can all beat up on it as though the wedding is next week and we actually have to make these decisions. Then having done that, you can say, well, what about cars? And you put the wedding up against cars or you put the wedding up against boats or against vacations. And you just have these things start to compete with each other. And I think people might worry that this will create extra angst, but what it will actually do is create extra clarity and confidence where you might have the realization or anybody might have the realization, oh, my vision for the wedding is very different from my daughter's vision. So I'm spending a bunch of money in my head on that wedding that she doesn't even care about. So maybe I want to reallocate mentally, reallocate that money over to a boat or to long-term savings. Yes. And we do put a pretty high value on experiences right now while they're still all three under our roof. And, uh, I, I do know the trade-off of that part, you know, but it's just like, I want, I wanted to do and this and that and that one and that, <laughs> and I want to have a plan for all of it. So I do like the idea of kind of weighing some of those trade-offs with our retirement or our whatever else we might want to do right now. So I do appreciate that. I don't think there are wrong answers. The, the more patient you are and the more open and honest with yourself that you are as you go through these exercises, the more you reduce the likelihood of regret. So 10 years from now, you might be having a conversation where you're saying, we don't have quite as much as we thought we would in whatever group of things we're calling our retirement, you know, mutual funds or whatever it all is but we know exactly why we made those decisions. And now we can use our creativity and our energy to get those retirement funds 
where we want them. So you're, you're taking ownership of every step of the way, which I think is the key to re reducing regret later. Yeah, and thank you for just giving me some of the language to use when when I am talking to my husband about these things. It's been a completely different experience than before I started money school. So thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to hear that because in in two weeks we're going to talk about money and marriage, Yay. and I and I may call on you for insights about about your experience. That would be amazing. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate you joining me today. Okay, folks, we are going to wrap up there. Have an amazing week. I will email you your homework. I was going to say, have fun with your homework. I think you can have fun with this process. It will bring some stress into some of your minds, but I think I've probably already said this in money school. I'll keep saying it. The stress of high awareness is much, much better than the stress of low awareness and ignorance. This is a high awareness exercise. So I appreciate you. Have an amazing week. Emails come into your inbox. Recordings will be available tomorrow. And I'll talk to you soon. See you.